All right. Welcome, everyone, to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today, as always, by Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells. Happy 2020, guys. Our first episode of the new year. Yeah, we did it. New decade, new me. Yeah, new decade, and Tom Brady does not have a win. Yeah, wait, Kirk Cousins, I heard a stat, amazing stat. It's 2020, Tom, and Tom Kirk Brady Cousins and has Drew Brees more... have less wins combined than Kirk Cousins in this decade in the playoffs like when it winning when it matters you know Kirk Cousins definitely quarterback of the decade so far who would have thought (laughs) hey you know uh, Kirk Cousins of course got a big win this weekend we uh, over Drew Brees and the Saints we had Tom Brady and the Patriots bow out in the wild card round for the first time in a decade overall we had a really thrilling wild card weekend of the NFL I dare I say the most ever or at least the most in recent memory I can't remember a time when there was a wild card weekend this amazing and usually the first game with the ESPN slate where it's typically the Houston Texans that game usually is terrible, but that game I was, uh, well, I was watching a view and I was, of course, on the edge of my seat for that one as well. Yeah, I mean, two overtimes, like what more could you ask for? Absolutely. You had two overtime games this weekend. We had all four games were uh, decided by less than a touchdown. Now, no team scored more than 20 points in regulation. So there's certainly a bit of sloppy football throughout the weekend, but it was exciting nonetheless. Let's get started with the game that happened most recently. That was the Seahawks knocking off the Eagles 17 to 9 in Philadelphia on Sunday evening. And the biggest story out of this game was the Eagles had to play most of it without quarterback Carson Wentz making his postseason debut after being injured the past two playoff runs for the Eagles finally gets his healthy season he he was a big part of the Eagles success but unfortunately a a hit to the head uh, in some way left him with a head injury that kept him out of the game and backup Josh McCown was unable to get it done as the Seahawks marched on to the second round and the Eagles and their fans are wondering what could have been what did you guys think of the hit? Was it dirty? Is Javian Clowney the dirtiest? Is he the next Miles Garrett? Let's not go that far. He didn't <laughs> actually take his helmet and swing it at his head. But yeah, I thought that was a dirty hit. Even though Carson Wentz is made of glass bones and paper skin, uh, that was not a definitely not a dirty, definitely not a good hit. And getting a hit in the back of the head, and of course Carson Wentz was out for the rest of the game. Yeah, I understand that Wentz was a runner at that point, but I think that they they certainly could have thrown a flag on that play. I understand Eagles fans being frustrated. I don't think it's fair to you know group this injury with some of Wentz's other ones because it is a head injury. It was something that looks really you know devastating in slow motion. Uh, but it of course now Wentz is uh, unable to escape those uh, injury con concerns and thoughts that a lot of fans still have in their heads because of this and. 
Uh, you know, the Seahawks certainly were able to take advantage. And while the Eagles kept it close, they were unable to do anything on offense. And I, I do think that with a healthy, healthy Carson Wentz, we would have seen a lot more scoring from Philadelphia. But it is kind of cool that Josh McCown got to finally play in a playoff game. I mean, for a 40-year-old, he played very admirably. I remember we did an epi- we did a top five where we did best backup quarterbacks, and I put Josh McCown as my number one choice. And that was when he was supposed to be retired and working for ESPN. But then he comes back out of retirement and is the backup for the Eagles. And yeah, he comes into the playoff game first time in, in his long career and uh, has his debut as a 40-year-old. And yeah, I didn't have much faith, that much faith, uh, like a lot of uh, NFL fans or Eagles fans, but he did keep him in the game and he didn't turn the ball over. So hats off to him for putting in the effort. He had some wheels too. He made some really great plays on the ground that you wouldn't expect from a 40 year old quarterback of his stature. Like you said, a guy who was retired, I think he was coaching a high school team throughout the year, but he was still playing for the Eagles. So it was pretty cool to see him get that shot 17th season, finally making a playoff appearance. And, uh, and he made the most of it, but in the end, Russell Wilson made the biggest play with that uh, long touchdown pass to DK Metcalf, and then another long pass to DK Metcalf uh, with the Eagles needing to convert a third and ten to avoid giving the e- the Eagles the ball back, and uh, he he came through. And Russell Wilson just more postseason magic for this guy to keep Seattle season alive. One thing, though, uh, I don't know if Seattle would make it out of this game if they actually had to play against a you know a fully – well, I mean, the Eagles are suffering from a lot of injuries, not just Carson Wentz. But um, I don't know if you're going to be able to win more games in the postseason uh, with a run game that's lacking as seriously as the Seahawks. Uh, Russell Wilson was by far their best rusher with 45 yards in front of Travis Homer with 12 and Marshawn Lynch right behind him with seven. Um, and these are this is on uh, Travis Homer, 11 uh, carries and six for Marshawn Lynch. Like, obviously, Marshawn Lynch is coming you know, out of retirement for this game. But um, moving forward, it, it makes me question how far they can go if Russell Wilson's arm is all they've got. And I, I know, obviously, Russell Wilson's amazing, especially in the postseason. But uh, you still have to question how they're going to produce uh, outside of him. I think versus the Eagles, they didn't really need the running game since – Philly's run defense is one of the better ones in the league, but their secondary has been absolute trash all season. So I think it was really just leaning uh, with Russ's arm. But like you said, for this upcoming matchup versus the Packers, uh, I think they're going to need a little bit more from Homer or or Marshawn Lynch to pass to get to the uh, NFC Championship game. Yeah, especially if that game is played in inclement Green Bay weather uh, and it it's harder to move the ball through the air. I, I do think that Seattle's running game is going to have to step up, which you know, when you lose your, your two starting, your, your starter and your backup, both in week 16 for the season, you're going to be in a world of hurt. And it, it is kind of amazing that Marshawn Lynch was able to step in against the Niners in week 17 and you know, play decently well, have a couple touchdowns. But yeah, they're going to need a lot more production of that running game in order to advance into the second round. Uh, so one, one quick stat about Russell Wilson that I found pretty interesting. So in his career, he has won nine playoff games. One of those games was against the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl when they won 43-8. to The other eight 
the team he faced didn't score more than 17. Oh, sorry. I that was a mistake on my part. So he beat the Packers 28 to 22 in the 2014 NFC Championship game. Outside of that, the team he faced didn't score more than 17 points in eight of the nine games and four of the eight they didn't score more than 10 points i don't know if that's a huge knock on russell wilson like i just mentioned there he 43 points uh against the broncos albeit with a a couple defensive and special team scores uh but i think that's interesting just how this is another game 17 to 9 it's uh the the team he faced did not put up a whole lot of points and he didn't need to put up a whole lot himself to score but Russell Wilson has certainly earned himself a reputation as one of the, the most talented and most clutch quarterbacks in the league. So I just thought that kind of interesting to, to read. I don't know what that says about him. I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the fact that his his defense used to be one of the elite defenses in the league earlier in his career, but now uh, maybe not so much. Well, I think it's that. You know, people love to bash Russell Wilson and say he uses way too many cliches but as Corey pointed out just now his cliches his words of encouragement literally make his defense that much better and make it so he doesn't have to score that many points it, it's it's him being on the field that makes the defense great you can totally spin it to be that yeah yeah I mean <laughs> hey if when you dominate time of possession and the other team can't step on the field and score sure uh but yeah we'll we'll see I think that the Packers and their offense are capable of scoring a lot, but we've seen Aaron Rodgers and that offense struggle a little bit when some of those low scoring games, I think the Redskins game that they won was like 20 to 15. And of course the Seahawks are more talented than the Redskins. So that, that will certainly be interesting to watch for um, as Seattle moves on into the, the divisional playoffs and possibly beyond. So let's move on to our next matchup sticking in the NFC Saints and the Vikings, and I don't know about you guys, but I thought the Saints, if I had to say one team was a lock to advance to the divisional round, it would have been the New Orleans Saints, and Kirk Cousins and the Vikings went into the Superdome and pulled out a hard-fought 26-20 to overtime victory. I mean, that's what you get when you try to take on Mr. Monday Night Football. He was clutch. He did, He made the throws he needed to make, and he let Dalvin Cook do the rest. Three words, you like that. <laughs> no, I thought I, I thought Kirk Cousins was terrific. And Adam Thielen finally, after the long injury time he had and a couple bad games in the season, he finally came through and then had that clutch catch uh, in overtime to seal the game, eventually seal the game with a Kyle Rudolph touchdown uh, at the end. And it was awesome to see. And I, even though I'm a, I'm a big Kirk Cousins fan, I... I didn't think they were going to win the game, uh, but uh, if they can beat the Saints, uh, I I can see them going in anywhere and being anybody. Well, when Taysom Hill is throwing fifty yard bombs, I'm like, who who could possibly beat this team? Like you have Drew Brees, but you're like backup, like tight end slash wide receiver, wide receiver slash running back slash fullback, like slash quarterback is out there like totally wrecking the other defense, like. Honestly, I, I'm still stunned that the Saints didn't just completely bulldoze these Vikings. Um, but I think the thing we have to discuss is the pass interference no call at the very end. Once again, Saints screwed by the refs, right? Very obvious that they were, that it was uh, a bad call, right, you guys? Nah, it was clear. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I think there, there's reason to argue that, but... 
I, I don't think it was bad enough. Uh, now, when I think in the Seahawks game, Jacob Hollister was called for OPI. And what he did, I don't know if that was any worse than what Kyle Rudolph did um, and was not called for it. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think in that situation. I, they actually did look at it. It didn't look like it on the field, but the refs did go back and look at it. And I, I don't I don't disagree with them not uh, changing that call on the field. Yeah, no, I was being I'm facetious. Glad, I'm glad but, they didn't change it. Yeah, I, mean, I was being facetious. Yeah, I could, before, I could tell with the but, way that you asked it. But yeah, no, it felt I, I, I think to return it. Well, it's it's or reverse it. It's just hard to like. It's hard to overturn something like that because it's such a judgment call in the in the moment, and football tries to avoid being this like eternal analyzing of the previous play. Um, I think that if they call that a pass interference, then it would stand. But because they didn't call it, then it should also stand. It was kind of in a gray area. You definitely see it's his a arm judgment go out. call in the moment. Yeah, and honestly, it, like you kind of just have to accept football as a sport that it can't be perfectly officiated. The thing is, for Saints fans to be like, "Oh, that's the one play. That is the reason we lost," is totally ridiculous. I would argue that letting Adam Thielen catch the ball on like the two yard line—that's probably the reason you lost. That, or, that was a killer. Or we could go even further back than that. Drew Brees fumbled the ball away while they were like getting into the red zone on offense with like four and a half minutes left in this game. That's a huge that play. That was probably the biggest play of the game. Yeah, too. and that's a huge mistake because it wasn't even... Honestly, I was kind of surprised because they kind of like hit Drew Brees' arm and then Drew Brees let go of the ball. Um, that is just a kind of turnover you can't give up in uh, late in a, po- a postseason game. So for Saints fans to say, I mean, I'm not saying all Saints fans are saying this, but for anyone to say that the Saints totally got screwed here, uh, I, I I have to disagree. If anything, also don't, I feel also like... Also, don't forget the Will Lutz missed field goal to end the first half. Yes. Because if he hits that field goal, he's lining up for the game-winning field goal uh, to, end the, to end in regulation. Right. So, That's a good point. And, and also... I think a better argument for how the Saints got screwed is by the overtime rules and that they didn't win to get the ball first. That, I think, is more egregious than the pass interference no call. Yeah, and I, I always... I vote, oh, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, we had this discussion last year about the, the Chiefs and the Patriots game. So you have this idea that the game is decided on a coin toss, right? The Vikings won the coin toss, therefore they won the game. So the Vikings had to go 75 yards to score a touchdown to win the game. If the Saints got a three and out, they would probably be able to get ball, what do you say, around the 30-yard line, only having to go about 35, 40 yards to kick a field goal and win it. Yeah, or even if they held the Vikings to a field goal, they would only need a field goal themselves to match it. The Vikings were in a position where the only way they could win the game was by scoring a touchdown there. And the Saints defense couldn't stop him. So I understand you have Drew Brees, the all-time leading passer on the sideline, doesn't get an opportunity to trot out there with Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara and try to match what Minnesota was able to do. But I I, I just don't hate the overtime rule, and I, I just don't know what would be necessarily I, a significant I, I've improvement. Said, I've said multiple times that I wasn't a fan of the overtime rule, but then the more I thought about it, the more I realized – this is probably the best way to handle overtime because if it was uh, if like the college way of doing it, where if a team scores a touchdown, but then the other the other team gets a chance to get a touchdown as well, the game would probably never end. And I just like I like it the way it is. Also, when they used to do it, where 
if, if you get a field goal, the game's over. Now they do it by a touchdown, which I prefer so much more than what it used to be. So the game has to end at some point. So I think the best overtime rule is the one that they have right now. Well, yeah, and I don't bring it up to like try to debate if we should get rid of it or not, but I, to compare it to um, you know rules that maybe screwed the Saints, like I would be more mad that my man Drew didn't get to get, uh, get on the field than I would be about missing out on a pass interference call in the end zone when you had a really like a much smaller safety covering a tight end. Um, yeah, no, I, the other one is so much worse too than the one the quote unquote missed one uh, this past Sunday. The other one isn't against the Rams last year. Yeah, the one the one against the Rams was a lot worse than the one. Yeah, I mean that. <laughs> I don't think there's any debating that. I don't think there are any missed PIs that have been as brutal. They're both as that exactly one. as bad as each other. The, the, the commissioner hates us. I hate <laughs> the NFL. We're leaving for the XFL. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, let's let's uh, move on and look at the AFC. And we had another overtime game, and that was between the Texans and the Bills. And that was one where both teams did touch the ball in overtime. And that just an up-and-down game for Bills and their fans because they were in such control in the first half, and it looked like they were about to put the Texans away in the third quarter. And then who else? J.J. Watt, torn pectoral muscle and all, comes up with a huge sack, and then all of a sudden Deshaun Watson takes that with the superstar player he is, and we have ourselves a ball game, and what a ball game for Saturday at 4.30, like you said earlier, Brian. Yeah, I didn't expect that game to be entertaining whatsoever. The The first half of that game, and then the first part of the second half, I that's basically what I thought it was going to be, a Bills blowout where the Texans just don't do anything and they repeat what they did last year versus the Colts and where they only score seven points and the, the game is over but the Texans were able to turn it around and uh, a lot of credit goes to Deshaun Watson especially how he handled that last play where two guys two Bills players are about to sack him but then he he gets off from both of them and he gets the pass off and then they go for the game winning field goal. Oh no I mean that whole drive was freaking amazing so like <laughs> Deshaun Watson like drops back to pass on third and 18 and somehow converts. And then later on that drive, you have the play you just described where he, like, two edge defenders came completely unblocked. Like, okay, the guy came off the right tackle, got, like, touched by the right tackle, but it didn't change his trajectory. They came flying in Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson survives two, like, massive blows, spins out, like, rolls out of the pocket, finds the open man, gains 34 yards, and sets him up for the easy chip shot field goal. Like, it was the definition of a clutch play. No, 31 other starting quarterbacks t- hit the ground after that kind of beating, uh, but not Deshaun Watson. Okay, maybe 30, 30 other quarterbacks. I think Lamar Jackson maybe Cam could also Newton. do it. Cam Newton would have shattered into a million pieces between those two. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Washington is just so much fun to watch. Like he had a, a play earlier in the year against the Colts where he was able to avoid a sack in a somewhat similar situation and throw a touchdown pass, but the yeah, refs ruled him helmet. down. Well, the refs ruled him down for a sack, said he was in the grasp. And it's just like plays like that tell you that in the grasp doesn't mean anything for Deshaun Watson. He's just such an electric player. And you know he he was certainly disappointed with how his team came out last year at, against the Colts in the wild card round, and they it looked like it was a repeat, but uh, they they really turned things around. And you know if you you focus on the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen was 
was he was decent in this game at times he was you were yelling at your tv like what is he doing like on that <laughs> that scramble he had where he tried to like Lateral, lateral the ball back yeah just i don't know what he was doing but he made some great plays he caught a touchdown pass on the opening drive so i think it was a pretty solid playoff debut for josh allen uh but it, there's there's certainly reasons for bills fans to be disappointed in the outcome of this one not just in that the team lost and blew a lead but the coaches made some some interesting decisions i think devin singletary not touching the ball in overtime when he was just dominant for the Bills, uh, relatively, you know, when you only score 19 points, you're going to be so dominant. But uh, I think that Buffalo kind of, they had this one there for the taking and the, they had their opportunities. They stopped the Texans on fourth and one to get the ball back and uh, kick a field goal to force overtime. But they they really dropped off after going up 16 to nothing. And then in overtime, they, they weren't able to take advantage of some opportunities. Tredavious White shut down Hopkins completely in the first half, and then all of a sudden Hopkins uh, came through and was beating him on the one-on-one matchup. And also going back to Josh Allen, he's got a strong arm. He's he can he's got good feet, and like you said, he had that touchdown catch to begin the game. So he's a very athletic guy, but man, he's such a maniac when, <laughs> especially at the end of that game where he that lateral. Did you guys see that lateral? How so ridiculous? Was that? Yeah. I don't know, man. I came into this game with the opinion that Josh Allen ain't it, and my opinion was not swayed by his performance here. I'm still a Josh Allen fan. I, I'm still high on him. I think that he can continue to grow and lead this team. Uh, but yeah, that that was certainly some some really disappointing. Just really, really needs to fix some mental errors. Yeah, that's and you just can't do stuff to. like that. Um, luckily for him, he didn't fumble it away, but yeah, that, that was almost, uh, he did a fumble one of the, one of the plays. He did away. not the, the bad lateral though. I know what you're talking about, but mm-hmm. did, did have one fumble that got the Texans back in the game. Yeah. So what do you think? Bright future ahead of the bills. Is it only a matter of time that they win the AFC East? Talk to me after we find out Brady's future. Well, we know for now that Brady's future does not involve continuing to play in the playoffs as we move on to our final game because the Patriots, after starting 8-0, after being one win away from a first-round bye heading into a Week 17 game against the supposedly tanking Miami Dolphins, now find themselves outside of the playoff picture after back-to-back painful losses at home with the most recent one at the hands of... Ben's favorite non-49er, Derrick Henry, and the Tennessee Titans. The King. King Henry. I've been pre- If you're a fan of He's Done It, then you know my, my position uh, when it comes to running an offense that features Derrick Henry. You give this man the ball, okay? And this is the type of game where when my game plan is implemented, you see the results. 34 carries for 182 yards, a franchise record in the postseason for the Titans, uh, and a touchdown. On top of that, he had a reception for 22 yards, which means he had over 200 total yards. This man was an absolute beast. Uh, and, and, And that's finally clear to everyone after the year he had. But he's been this guy ever since he, well, for a long time. And I'm glad to see him finally getting the respect he deserves. And he's being utilized uh, the way that he should be. Ever since August, when we started doing the division previews and then just doing breakdowns weekly of uh, of all the games, every time we talk about the Tennessee Titans, 
Der- um, ben has always brought up, give the ball to Derrick Henry and you'll see good things happen. And I'll admit, in my mind, I've I've always thought that was an asinine take, but uh, that that Derrick Henry uh, just giving him the ball completely might have ended the Patriots' uh, dynasty. <laughs> so uh, it was definitely uh, brutal to watch in the first half. Derrick Henry getting already already over 100 plus yards, and just watching the de- even though the defense only gave up 14 points, it was too little, too late, and. And the defense did not show up this week and past week versus Miami that cost them. You know, I, I think the, the, the Patriots defense, um, yeah, the Miami game, just letting Ryan Fitzpatrick drive down on the field for the winning score was, was bad. But this week, you know, Derrick Henry was the Titans only offense. They had less than 300 yards total. The Patriots offense outgained them uh, and they themselves weren't all that great. So I, I, I don't know. I'm not totally buying the whole like Patriots defense. And I know Derrick Henry did anything that Ryan Tannehill did, couldn't do or didn't need to do. Tannehill still only threw for 72 passing yards. And he, he threw that God awful interception that I think was more on him than anything the Patriots defense did. But I don't think allowing 14 points is enough to say, oh, yeah, the Patriots defense was terrible. They cost us a game. I, the offense only scoring 13 points, I think, was a killer. And I, think a, I mean, the defense underwhelmed in the first half. And what's the narrative with, with Belichick's uh, plan on defense? It's to take out the best player on the opposing offense. And who's the best player in their opposing offense? That's Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> Corey Davis, Tajay yeah. Sharp, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, and Derrick Henry was not affected. And what's so frustrating about that that game was that you knew what the game plan was or you knew what the Titans' offense was going to do, and that was constantly run the ball, and they still couldn't stop him. And it was just a really, really frustrating way to end the year. Yeah, and so I guess focusing on the Patriots' offense on the flip side. So they're up 10-7, to first and goal at the one in the second quarter. They have a chance to really bury Tennessee in a sense going up by 10 and they just go backwards on three running plays and settle for a short field goal. And that's just not something you're ever used to seeing from this team. Yeah. And that was the game right there. I mean, last year the Patriots won the Super Bowl, uh, and, and I think the biggest reason why was because the offensive line really stepped up in the three games and along with Sony Michelle in the running game and, it kind of underwhelmed again where, like you said, three times at the one-yard line. Well, one of them, the first run was backed up a few yards, but they got stopped on the one-yard line again on the, on second down. And, yeah, they couldn't get through, and it kind of cost them the game. And, and yeah. It's yeah, disappointing so. to see Tom Brady go out like this. 20 for 37, zero touchdowns, one interception. Um, it... it there's always moments like this with him where all of the haters are seemingly proven right, where they're like, ha, I told you he sucked, <laughs> which is such a... Yeah, Ma- Max Kellerman saying, oh, he's going to hit that cliff like three years later. Good job. Where uh, the first year since that take where he didn't make the Super Bowl. Congratulations. <laughs> right. That's it's like any other, uh, like most other quarterbacks would die to have the season that Brady had this year and he didn't even have that. It's not even one of his best, you know, um, especially not now. And this is that the postseason is already over for him. But um, 
I don't know. It's it's uh, it's tough to see the go go out like this against such a underdog. Um, but that's that. I think it kind of makes me appreciate his wins that much more because anything can happen. You know, the fact that he's gone and won it so many times, you can't take it for granted. It, it is true greatness because if you're not playing at your best, there are other teams right waiting to take the title away from you. Yeah, and the, you know the that pick six at the end that that could be it. You know, whether that's uh, for his entire career or just as a New England Patriot. Uh, but that, at the very least, that's the lasting image as we head into the offseason. So uh, with that, that brings us to our burning question. And that is, did Tom Brady play his final game as a member of the New England Patriots on Saturday night? I think it's a better question for Brian because you might be more familiar with their contract situation. I know that he's like, they announced he had like a, t- uh, a contract till 2021, but I've also heard that there's like, you know, stuff in there he, where he, he could get out. He, want, he wants the, he wants the years, I think more than, or the commitment. So, well, I guess just to answer money. to Ben's question, he's an unrestricted free agent. I agree. I as well was like kind of thrown off by that contract extension from 2021. But basically, all they did was give him a raise for 2019 and put two voidable years that also made it so they couldn't franchise sack him. So Brady is an unrestricted free agent, free to negotiate with any team around the league. It's just that it would take so much for him to leave in in terms of going to the right situation where he needs to. I think he needs to be in an offense where with Josh McDaniels coming along with him. But I don't know what else is left available now that, I mean, the Chargers, they haven't given up Anthony Lynn or anything. I, I don't know. It's I would lean yes, but I have absolutely no idea where he's going to go. I mean, the, the talk has been the Chargers, but I don't know how that makes sense. I don't know. I don't know. I can tell you where I would like to see him go. These are all pretty unlikely, but I think it would be a great fit. Um, I think, first off, the Colts. It would be amazing to see Tom Brady put on uh, Peyton Manning's old uniform. Um, give him the number 18 why not and uh and (laughs) but set him up behind a great offensive line um and honestly just give him see that makes uh, sense with with the offensive line the pieces around him yeah i mean would giselle want to i mean family matters for him of course or like anyone else but would giselle want to go to indianapolis and sit around for another another year waiting for his his husband to retire finally i don't know well if she doesn't like more factors than just the playing situation sure sure which is why sunny and uh hot tampa bay would be an excellent landing location for tom brady if you want to talk about weapons they've got some weapons down there and um if tom brady can drop 45 a game then maybe their defense playing poorly wouldn't slow him down if they don't keep James, so, well, well the, the Bucks, the Bucks defense is pretty good this year. I, I, I do think Tampa could be an interesting fit. You know, I don't expect Jameis Winston numbers in terms of the interceptions out of Brady, uh, and probably not the yardage of the touchdowns either. Uh, but I, so this kind of comes down to so there's three possible scenarios: he either retires, he goes back to the Patriots, or he goes to another team. It's pretty simple. Is he gonna retire? I think that's the least likely. Yeah, no yeah I, I, he, he said he wants said to play till he's 45. Where he said, he got asked the question, is there any chance that you retire? And he said, hopefully unlikely. Yeah. And so, I th- which, which, in other words, I think he wants to keep playing. Yes. Um, and then from there, I think it's going to come down to, is he going to find a better situation elsewhere? Or is he going to have the situation he wants 
still in New England for year 21 and beyond. Because the biggest thing with Brady, and I think that led to part of his frustration this season, is it comes down to respect. And the fact that the Patriots and Bill Belichick wouldn't give him a contract extension. That's why he's in this place. He wanted that extra two, three years of just security, that commitment say, yeah, we want you to be our quarterback until you're ready to retire, be it at 45 or whatever. And he's kind of, he's made sacrifices for so many years on taking pay cuts to have other weapons around him for the, for the better of the team. And now he's kind of done with that. And he just wants, he wants the, he wants the commitment. He wants the, yep. the guaranteed years and, and dollars. And he's not going to get that from Belichick. I don't think. Yeah, so money isn't necessarily the most significant part of this. I think it would be if the Patriots. It's, the, it's definitely the, the years. years are huge. It's, it's, I it's think the that, years more than money. I think if a team is going to give him two years, sixty million, he would take that over Belichick saying, "Yeah, you can come back for another twenty-five million just for this one year." And he's I don't know gonna, if Belichick's going to give him more. He's not going to leave for just a few more million dollars more. I mean, to any regular person, a few million dollars is amazing, but to Brady, that's nothing. But. I, I can imagine some team, especially with the cap going up to $200 million next season, I can imagine a team or multiple teams wanting to find a way to get Brady on their roster. There are a lot of teams that will have cap space next year. I don't know, though, that bringing in a 43-year-old quarterback, whoever he is, is a significant upgrade over some of the other options some of these teams have at their disposal especially with guys like Teddy Bridgewater, even Ryan Tannehill as a potential free agent options that had great 2019 seasons and are much younger. Um, that being said, I, I just don't think that Bill Belichick is going to give in or allow Robert Kraft to just say, yeah, whatever Brady wants, you're going to pay him that. Because I think that Bill at this point it wants to continue winning Super Bowls and he wants to be around he wants to build for on a while he wants of, of the fact that the one hole in his in his resume really is he hasn't won a super bowl without brady and obviously he wants to catch up and wins to shula uh but he can do that with any quarterback but in, the only hole in his resume is really with winning a super bowl without brady and i think he wants to try to prove that yeah, and whether or and not vice versa with Brady. Yeah, it was the same way. But whether or not Brady being there in twenty nine or twenty twenty versus Jared Stidham or a different guy is going to, you know, increase their successes this year, I think long term being able to start working on that uh, future franchise quarterback will be appealing for Belichick if he does plan on sticking around for you know, the foreseeable future. He's 67 years old. He said in the past he doesn't envision coaching past 70, but he recently said he thinks he could keep doing it. So so I guess with that, you know, what what's the, the answer? Yes or no? I'm I'm gonna I'll just I'm gonna say yes, but I have absolutely no idea what team it is because every whatever team I look at, there's one or multiple flaws with each situation. So but I'm gonna guess yes. I'll guess the Chargers, but I've very, very little conviction on that. Um, yeah, I'm in a similar level of confidence in yes, um, just because I really don't know what his home life is like. If if his family is like, we're not going with you. Also, so, yeah, if you leave, he, like he you're market, you're literally so. out of the family if you leave Boston, then I don't see him leaving. 
So I I don't know if, if that's necessarily the situation. I think it's a matter of where Giselle is willing to go, uh, whether that's a place like L.A. or Tampa versus, say, Indianapolis or Chicago. But I, I do think in the end Brady will uh, you know take advantage of this opportunity to negotiate elsewhere and ultimately end up elsewhere. And I think a lot of that's going to come down to Bill Belichick not wanting to give him the kind of contract that he's looking for that another team will. So... All right. Well, that will uh, wrap things up for the burning question. And real quickly, before we conclude our NFL talk, let's look ahead to the divisional round. And what game are you guys most looking forward to? Um, I think I'll go first because it's probably pretty obvious which game I'm most looking forward to is finally watching some Niners postseason football again. Um, And like, Honestly, like no disrespect, like they looked good in uh, against the Saints. Like beating the Saints is no small feat, especially in New Orleans. But uh, this is the best uh, outcome we could have hoped for. I think. Um, I mean, maybe we'd rather see the Eagles, but like the six seed beating the three seed, like losing the Saints as a potential rival later on, I think is so good for us. Um, and we're hosting this game. Like we have every reason to beat the Vikings. So I'm, I'm really excited to see the Niners. Plus, we're getting healthy at the right time. Quan Alexander has been medically cleared to play. Uh, they haven't officially activated him yet at, at the time of recording, but that's looking very likely. Um, Joukowsky Tart, cleared to play. Uh, D Ford, cleared to play. So this Niners defense is coming back at the right time. Uh, so I, I'm feeling pretty confident uh, on that side of the ball. It'll be interesting to see how Jimmy holds up against a Vikings defense that absolutely obliterated him week one last year. But this is a different offense than week one last year. So I, I like our chances. I'm going to stick with the same game. And it's like what Ben said. I, I'm looking forward to see what the Niners look like in the postseason. But the fact that the Vikings went into the Superdome and beat New Orleans, who I thought was the... I've been saying all year that they were the best team. And they were... My Super Bowl pick, so I'm glad we didn't do any playoff, uh, playoff games or or whatever like we did last year, because I would be dead last in the rankings having my Super Bowl, having my Super Bowl choice already out in the first round. And I'm just want to see if Kirk Cousins if he can repeat what he did last week. And I, even though I think the Saints are better are, we're the again the best team in football. The Niners they, what they're better at than the Saints are is getting the pet getting the getting the quarterback with their defense and they've got an awesome secondary as well so i want to i want to see if kirk cousins can repeat this on the road versus another elite team yeah i'm I'm excited to see what the 49ers look like in their first playoff game first one since 2013 so yes and also the first one at levi's stadium Oh, right, in the new stadium. So, yeah, that that should be exciting. But the game I'm most looking forward to is the Chiefs and the Texans. Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs offense going up against Deshaun Watson and the Texans offense. We saw these two teams play back in week six, and Houston won in Arrowhead, 31-24. to um, I think Kansas City is going to get the better of them this time, but I, I do expect a very exciting matchup. It'll see what Deshaun Watson can follow up with after last week. And Patrick Mahomes, he hasn't been his MVP self of last season, but that doesn't mean he hasn't been a great quarterback in his own right this year. And uh, the Chiefs going into the playoffs, I, I really like their chances of making a Super Bowl run, so I'm excited to see how they come out in this matchup. 
All right, and now let's look at a, a matchup that we're most looking forward to. Uh, I'm going to go with the Seahawks-Packers game. I think that's going to be the closest game, and I'm kind of glad it's also the last game of the weekend. And, I mean, the Packers, they haven't made the I – think, I think they've missed the postseason two years in a row. I think their last appearance was when they faced the Falcons in the NFC Championship game, and, and that was when they had Mike McCarthy, but – uh, now that he's gone, uh, they were hoping to improve improve by a lot this season, which they have. They're now the two seed, and and the the Seahawks. They're a great road team, and every game is always comes down to the end when uh, whatever Seahawks game, uh, whenever the Seahawks are playing. So I'm looking forward to the matchup, and I think it's going to come down to the very end. Yeah, I, I have this. We have the same matchups, Brian, that we're looking forward to seeing, and we're. But <laughs> I, yeah, I can't wait to watch. You screw the AFC. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to watch Seahawks at Packers because I absolutely have no idea who's going to win this game. Um, from my perspective, the Packers are a much better team on paper, especially if you look at you know the injuries. The Seahawks have definitely been somewhat depleted, and I think that the Packers have every reason to win this game, which is exactly why the Seahawks have a great chance at winning. They they Their matchups with the Packers have been... They've been one of the luckiest teams this they, year, where I think almost all their wins have become, have come from single digits. Yep, a lot of... It's, it's some crazy number, uh, most of their wins, yeah. But also, like, they just seem to defy the odds against the Packers specifically, uh, and I think there's a lot on the line in the Wilson-Rodgers rematch. Of that, it's, it's a rematch of that NFC Championship game as well, I think five years ago, when uh, the Packers, they should have won the game, but then all of a sudden... Seahawks miraculously come back and they win it in overtime. And who could remember the uh, fail Mary, or who could forget the fail Mary? Like it's, I I just love the history of this matchup, and um, also the added bonus just for me specifically. There's a chance that I get to watch the Seahawks lose, which always makes my day. Um, so that's another reason why I'm excited for it. Uh, that's a kind of matchup that I think a lot of people were expecting to see New Orleans go up against Green Bay. Um, and I, I think the, the Packers probably have a little better shot of beating Seattle, but at the same time, there's a lot of really talented teams at the top of the NFC, and uh, I, I do think that's a, a great match to look forward to. Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the AFC again for the matchup. I'm, I'm excited to see the running games in Tennessee and Baltimore, in particular Derrick Henry against that Ravens defense. The past two weeks combined, uh, going back to week 17, 66 total carries, 393 yards. Can he keep it up? Uh, I think Baltimore is going to, like Tennessee, try to focus on the runs. I mean, they've done all year. Could be a really fast game for that reason. Uh, so I think it'll be interesting to see if uh, Tennessee can continue to rely on the run game or if we're going to need to see something more out of Ryan Tannehill than we saw last week, which I think he's capable of doing. So that's the matchup I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, my fear for the Titans is that uh, the fast-paced Ravens offense will put the game, it will change the game so that running it won't be, running on every down won't be the the move. Even though the Titans have shown bravery in handing the ball off to Derrick Henry in what seems to be a passing situation, um, but if the Ravens can just put up points, I think it's going to be hard for them to keep up. And they're going to need to rely on Ryan Tannehill a lot more in the Baltimore game versus what, the Patriots. 
My hope is that Tennessee can get the best of uh, Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, but I'm not super optimistic because the Ravens have looked really, really good for the past few months, and they have a week, or two weeks for some of their guys to, to get rested and healthy. So my expectation is that Baltimore will end up winning out this one, partially because Derrick Henry won't be able to continue his monster performance from the past two weeks. So... Uh, let's uh, wrap up our NFL talk now and move on to college football. We have the college football playoffs are getting ready to conclude next Monday with a national championship game between two Tigers, number one LSU and number three Clemson. And they both took a little different paths getting there in the semifinals. Of course, LSU and Joe Burrow destroying Oklahoma, while Trevor Lawrence and Clemson won a a tight, somewhat controversial game against Ohio State. So let's start off with that um, matchup between Clemson and Ohio State. Of course, Ben and I as South Carolina fans weren't too thrilled with that one. (laughs) And there are a couple officiating things that you can question on that. And I I think the most egregious uh, was that fumble ruled on the field as a touchdown and then overturned as a non-fumble. Well, okay, sorry. Uh, Like, Again, I, as much as like there were some questionable calls in this one, I was surprised that Ohio State was in it at all. Um, when they when they got up the whole time, I was like, they won't, they can't do it. There's no way that, that Clemson goes down this easily. And then they let Clemson just get right back into the game. And yeah, you can question it, but with the start they had, Ohio State should have been able to take this one home easily. And of course they couldn't because they were playing Clemson. Um, and that would have been too nice for us. So uh, they blew it again. Clemson undefeated against Ohio State, just like I expected. Yeah, and uh, Ben, I have a question for you. Are you considering therapy again after what happened last season? I, I've actually been my tune has been changing a little bit because we're kind of witnessing like an amazing run by Clemson, and like there's the potential that they go down in like history, uh, depending on how the rest of Trevor Lawrence's career goes. Um, so, but we'll, we'll talk, I want to talk more about that when we talk about the next matchup. Um, but yeah, anytime Clemson wins in the freaking postseason, dude, come on. It, it gets me right. <laughs> it goes right for the heart. Yeah. So, uh, it's, it's very frustrating, uh, that I have to be a part of that every postseason, uh, because Clemson just can't stay out of the college football playoffs. Yeah. Corey, what'd you think? What'd you think of the, the targeting call where, uh, the guy, the whoever the Ohio State player was, he ended up getting ejected. Is that correct? Yeah, I was just gonna bring that up. So it, it was Sean Wade. Um, he recently announced he's coming back to school. That's how I know his name. But yeah, he was he was flagged for targeting, and targeting penalty is automatic disqualification, which is why he was ejected. I don't I don't understand why that was targeting. Um, I I really. It looked like Trevor Lawrence leaned yeah. into in, in into the the player mm-hmm. who was called for targeting and thrown out of the game. I was I was not a fan of that and I was sitting right next to you as that happened and I was asking you like why why did they why did they do Yeah, that? and that, that was a huge momentum shifter because it was 16 to nothing Ohio State at that point. Now, Ohio State had plenty of opportunities to put that game even more away by uh, scoring touchdowns instead of settling for short field goals. Regardless, they're up 16 to nothing at this point. And then Clemson is just looking to do something before the half to get back in it. And that 
that really helped them. That that opened the door for Clemson's comeback because you get one of Ohio State's best players out of the game. All of a sudden, you have another reason for them to feel slighted, and you know they're trying to kill our best quarterback. And you know Trevor Lawrence is able to come out and. All of a sudden, I don't know what happened on that helmet. The helmet hit, but it seemed like he really woke up his game, and he was he was nearly flawless the rest of the way. So, but yeah, I I don't think it was targeting. Another thing about that game, well, the last two minutes of the game, Ohio State's driving down the field, and then all of a sudden, Justin Fields throws an interception, and it it was a clear miscommunication with the receiver. Do you think that was more on the receiver, or do you think that's on Justin Fields? So. I predicted he would throw an interception on that drive. Uh, Just because he thought the worst would happen. Yeah, mostly. <laughs> but um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that it's – I don't know who you blame the miscommunication on there. I don't know where the receiver was supposed to be. I don't know where the ball was supposed to be thrown. Um, but it does seem like the two of them weren't on the same page and are probably equally responsible for that. I don't know who uh, was more messed up because I don't know what the play was supposed to be. Either way, not good for you. That's just Ohio no. State football, dude. Sorry, all our Ohio fans that listen. Um, that's just Ohio State football. I, I expected nothing less. Mm-hmm. So we'll uh, we'll see. I mean, Justin Fields so, is only so a freshman. We, we just what? so we probably just lost half of our listeners. <laughs> yeah. Well, they lost against Clemson, so I guess we're all yeah. losing here. Yep. All right. Let's talk about the other game now. LSU Oklahoma. Joe Burrow seven passing touchdowns in the first half. Uh, shattering college football playoff records in this one and LSU if they if there was any doubt that they belonged as a number one seed in the playoffs coming into the playoffs I think they silenced it if after about I don't know 25 minutes of game time if that as a very casual fan of college football uh I'm definitely rooting for LSU and it's just because of how amazing and elite they are as a team they they go into Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa, and they beat they beat the Crimson Tide, and then all of a sudden they win the SEC championship game convincingly, and then they win first Oklahoma uh, convincingly to make the national championship game. So I am just I'm a huge fan of what they've done this season, and especially Joe Burrow um, as a player and as a person. So uh, I'm rooting for the Tigers over the Tigers. Yeah, I um. A lot of people like to point at Gamecocks fans and be like, you're just an Alabama fan. You actually just love Alabama. I've even talked about it on the podcast how, no, we don't. We don't love Alabama. And a lot of people here hate Alabama. Uh, we like whoever has the best chance of stopping Clemson from getting another natty. And right now, that's LSU. Um, that This is probably the best performance you could have, as a like fan of not Clemson, this is probably the best thing you could have seen out of this part of the college football playoffs. Um, I mean, this also... If we're you know talking playoff expansion, this is another example of like we maybe don't need to add that many more teams to the college football playoffs based on like the difference in talent from the fourth best team got thrashed yeah. by the best right exactly. Team. So um, I mean two and three was still worth playing though. But anyways, uh, so I was really impressed. Joe Burrow is looking amazing, and uh, I don't know. I <laughs> he's our he's our my last hope. My favorite. My favorite stat coming out of that game was Joe Burrow had more touchdown passes in uh, the Mercedes Dome uh, than Matt Ryan did all season. <laughs> <laughs> just, just thought I'd point that out. I, th- I think it was Corey that wow. told me too, but I think yeah. I heard it beforehand as well. 
Yeah, I mean Joe Joe Burrow is phenomenal in that game. I mean I, I agree. LSU was just so exciting, and I had I had some doubts about them uh, entering the playoffs. Really, going into that Georgia SEC championship game, I was expecting Georgia to keep them close, and LSU just totally blew them out of the water. And going up against Oklahoma at that point, I did expect LSU to win and to win decently big, but I was not expecting them to score forty nine points before halftime. Yeah, and I I think. Um, if you ask me going into the playoffs who I thought would win the national championship game, like I said, I said Ohio State over LSU. But if you said Clemson would beat Ohio State, I would say Clemson over LSU. But after seeing LSU destroy Oklahoma, put up 63 points on them, I know Oklahoma's defense is nothing compared to Clemson's defense, but I just can't see them, you know, even if they half that point total, that's another 31, 32 points against Clemson. And I don't know if, uh, Clemson can can match that and, and take advantage. I think it'll be a relatively high-scoring game, but LSU is just playing on another another level right now. Also, having having massive home field advantages also mm-hmm. gonna playing in New Orleans. So they did lose to Alabama in New Orleans earlier this decade, but they won their previous two championship games in New Orleans, and you know Alabama isn't too far, so I don't know if that's a as huge of a home field advantage as you would think, but certainly a bigger one compared to Clemson and you know being out in the East Coast in South Carolina. So um, Clay Travis is one of Fox Sports's commentators, and he brought up an interesting take on this ma- as quarterback matchup because it's legendary, and I'm sure many people have talked about this. But this season for Joe, Joe Burrow has been pretty amazing, uh, and capping it off with a national uh title would be basically like the storybook ending he would have had like one of the greatest call it or yeah like quarterback performances in college football but then you look on the other side of the field and you see trevor lawrence who's literally never lost in his life at anything and he's trying to go back to back and if you try to look a little bit more into the future he's probably got his his sights set on next year because you know Clemson's going to win the regular season. So they're, they're, they've already punched their ticket for the playoffs next year, essentially. And he could go undefeated for his entire career and enter the NFL draft next year with three titles and zero losses. That would be the greatest thing. <laughs> That'd be like the most amazing college football career ever. Um, so this is what I was talking about when I was saying that, like, obviously I hate Clemson. No one's doubting that. But it would be super freaking crazy to witness one quarterback who could go back to back to back and never lose ever uh, and then become, obviously, the number one draft pick in the NFL. So if we have to lose, at least it would be like the most epic winning ever. It's like no one's ever done that before. At least I don't know. I mean, maybe like in the 60s, some guy probably did, did this too. But like I, I'm, I'm kind of in awe of what potentially could happen. If Joe Burrow stops him, though, it totally ruins it for him, which would be sick. Um, but he, like, both these guys are in a pretty uh, historic position. You know, that's not something that ever occurred to me, uh, just in terms of like how how much he could win and not even losing a game if he he does pull it off. Obviously, we're looking far ahead. We're not only uh, looking past this game against LSU, but we're looking past an entire season next year. And, but and by that you mean like the postseason next yeah, year. The, yeah. That's the only time ACC I would... ACC's, no one's going to compete with them, right? Right. So... But, uh, 
one thing I'll say is we were raving about Deshaun Watson earlier on the podcast, and I find him so much easier to root for than Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> so I, I don't know. That's not something I want to see happen. I, I can't envision is it, myself is rooting it the for hair? the playoffs. Is it, what uh, is it with there's, Trevor there's Lawrence? There's a lot. I, yeah, maybe. Maybe it's just like the, the look on him. The surfer dude hair. Yeah, and it just takes away everything else. Um, one thing I will say, if we're talking about likability, on one side you have Ed Orgeron, who's one of the most likable coaches in college football, going up against Dabo Swinney, who's one of the most unlikable coaches <laughs> in college football. So there's a fun matchup if you're looking for someone to root for. Uh, because you know, Coach O winning a national championship would be amazing, and Dabo Swinney would be insufferable with all the <laughs> underdog takes. Like everyone thought we, they no didn't think we deserved to be ranked, let alone in the top four. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, LSU, their offense is historic. And while Alabama's offense wasn't historic last year, they looked unstoppable as a team. And Clemson came out and beat them by four touchdowns. So I'm not holding my breath that uh, what LSU did last, or you know, two weeks ago, whenever that game was, means anything going into that Clemson game. But I do think that they have a ton of momentum, and there's plenty of reason to believe that they can – uh, ultimately pull out a, a victory in this one. So that, that that would be my prediction is that LSU does win this game. And I'm saying that not just as anti-Clemson, but because of how good they have been in their last two games against Georgia and Oklahoma. I'll repeat the same thing I've said before, that LSU has been some of the best teams in the nation convincingly. And, and Clemson really hasn't played anyone until Ohio State, of course, but uh, I'm, I'm going to lean with LSU and also there's even though I don't really have any ties to either uh, either team of course but there is a likability factor with uh, both teams I think and Joe Burrow and Coach O definitely come as, as the as the more likable duo yeah I I have to root for LSU. I mean, obviously. So I, I think Joe Burrow has looked amazing. Uh, like I said, the, Ohio, the way he performed against Oklahoma was about as good as you could possibly ask for. Um, so hopefully he can carry that momentum into this game and help us avoid another Clemson natty. That would be great, uh, especially because I already know I'm not going to be able to root for Joe Burrow for the foreseeable future when the Bengals take him <laughs> number one overall. So he, he can he can end it on a high note for me and maybe redeem himself when he heads off uh, to the NFL in Southern Ohio, where he's from. All right, so with that, let's move on to our next segment, and that is a new segment. We're going to do some trivia, so we're going to uh, have at least one trivia question per episode, and it'll generally be a sports theme, uh, something topical, and we're just talking about college football national championships, and that'll be the topic once again. So I have a question for Ben. Brian, and you guys, the listeners, and we'll see if you guys can get it. My goal is to stump more than you than have get it right, but we'll see how we do. We're starting this off. First one, um, so college football championship theme. Clemson is looking to win their third national championship in four seasons. Since the formation of the Bowl Coalition in 1992, the precursor to the Bowl Championship Series and eventually the college football playoff, only two schools have accomplished this feat. Who are they? So let's give the listeners some time to, to think this one over. I'll repeat the question again. 
Clemson is looking to win their third national championship in four seasons since the formation of the Bowl Coalition in 1992, the precursor to the Bowl Championship Series, and eventually the college football playoff. Only two schools have accomplished this feat. Who are they? So, if you guys have have any guesses, feel free to start shouting them out. We're only going back to 92, so less than 30 years. So... <laughs> I know you just said it twice, but I still couldn't really understand it that well. So, since 1992, three championships in four seasons. Only two other schools have done it since 1992. Clemson is looking okay. to become a third. Gonna, I think one is really obvious. Uh, I'm going to go. One is Alabama. That's what I was also going to yes, guess. One is Alabama. 2009, 2011, and 2012. All right. Oh, that's a. That's a good. That's a good question because one of them felt easy, but the other yeah, one the other might one, not so be. I it, not not as easy. Some of them come. To, there are some that come to mind, like Miami. No. Uh, D- Texas. No, not Texas. Uh, Notre Dame. Not Notre Dame. I didn't think it was Notre Dame. I, I wasn't. I I mean, I knew they were great school college football wise, but I didn't think it'd be them. All right, so I'll give you a first hint, and that is when they won their first national championship. They were a member of the Big Eight Conference. You guys probably don't even know what the Big Eight Conference is. No. <laughs> Oklahoma. Not Oklahoma. We are in the right right direction. The Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> they did do it, but they, they're, they're not a, a college team that we're looking for here. I'm still thinking. <laughs> I mean, like, all the teams that yeah. come to mind, I'm like, oh, there's no way. That's that school. I'm curious. We probably have some listeners that, like, they know this answer, and they're they're, yeah, they're frustrated probably, that we're not just saying There's probably it. a college – I was just about to say, there's probably a huge college football fan that's like, oh, these guys are idiots. Yeah. <laughs> that they don't know the answer to this. I mean, because I was going to – another team I was going to guess was USC, but – No, not Southern Cal. I didn't I – didn't, yeah. Not exactly. South Carolina. The fact that you, yeah, the fact that you gave a hint uh, like that yeah. uh, doesn't help. Yeah, I knew we didn't have any national titles, but I wasn't sure if we had three in four <laughs> years. <so>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would give another hint that they haven't won since then, but I don't know if that makes it any easier. Oregon. No. Texas. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm going to give you guys one last guess before All right. saying it. One last guess? One last guess. Former Big Eight school. Oh, no, not one last hint. One last, one last guess. guess. One last guess. Yeah, we don't want to be here all day. Texas A&M. Not Texas A&M. Uh, uh, New Mexico. Not New Mexico. <laughs> Nebraska, 1994, oh. 1995, 1997. I would have just said all the Big 12 teams and Dang just it. finally yeah. tried to get they were, they were in the Big 8 in 94 and 95. They joined the Big 12 in 96 and then won I, I was thinking, I, I was thinking about doing it, but I was just like, nah, I don't want to. That's too unfair. Yeah. So they actually won um, two of the last three before the BCS, which started in 1998. Um, and 
So I, I, we just went back to 1992. If we went back a lot further, you'd have Ole Miss. They actually did it, I believe, 59, 60, and 62. And if you went way, way back to like the late 1800s, early 1900s, beginning of college football, you'd get a lot of schools that uh, used to be great at it when there weren't many others doing it. Uh, but now they're not so great anymore. Like Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Michigan Wolverines. Uh, they, they were all good back in the 1900s, but not anymore. So basically like, so basically, the Boston Celtics of the 60s, where they're just beating on everyone that's not even close to being as good as them. Yeah, basically. So maybe some Ohio State fans caught that at Michigan. They, they, they won a bunch in 1900s, and they, they haven't won many since then. Uh, although they did tie with Nebraska in 1997, so there's a bit of an asterisk on that one. But yeah, so the Clemson's looking to become the third school since 1992 to win three out of four national championships, joining Nebraska and Alabama. All right, so great question. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, let's wrap things up with our final segment, and it's not the top five. I don't know that the top five is necessarily going away forever, but we're trying something new. Instead of doing a five countdown, we're going to answer five questions. Some of these we came up with ourselves. Some of them were asked by listeners. So uh, let's start off with the first one here, and that is, what are your thoughts on Ricky Gervais's Golden Globes opening monologue? I was a fan, but uh, I think the people who were in the monologue of getting joked on by Ricky uh, need to just get over themselves. That's my simple take on it. Yeah, I thought. I mean, I thought it was funny. Um, yeah, I usually super funny. am not. I'm not an award show guy. Uh, the fact that this was on right after football was the only reason I watched it. Well, I'm sorry. There's two reasons. It was on right after football, and the other reason was I just heard that Ricky Gervais was going to be the host. So I was like, I'm at least going to see the opening monologue. I'm a fan of I'm a fan of like stand up comedy, um, and I mean like. <laughs> He spat in the face of Hollywood elites, and as a member of like the middle class, I am like, ha Now you <laughs> lose for once, yeah, um, which is kind of cool. Although I did hear an interesting take um, by this political commentator that I follow on YouTube, and he said like instead of telling these mega rich celebrities to like shut up and like you know accept your your stupid awards like it would have been cool if he had called on them to be like if you guys like stand for these things why don't we see you do something about it like donate big money like take an action don't just come up here and say things you the rich celebrity who's trying to tell everyone else to do something why don't you actually take some action because you are the one with all the resources um which i i think i can uh, agree with again ricky gervais i think part of it too is just to get the entertainment factor so for him to just go up there and totally smack him in the face i think that's great he did a good Mm -hmm. job yeah um but as far as like the power of his message, I think we all got a good laugh at Hollywood's expense. But if he really wanted to do the antithesis of what they do, he could have like said, how about you guys do something? That, that is a fair point. I agree. I thought that was really funny. There was there was some truth to it and kind of going in on those Hollywood elites. I understand why they were upset about it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I watched a lot more of the Golden Globes than I expected to because it was right after football. But uh, there's, the, his, his opening monologue is certainly uh, the highlight of that, me being not a huge fan of award shows and not really caring so much who won any of them. So You said you watched more of it. Did Ricky come back out? I turned. Yeah, it right oh, he did. I mean, he came out a, a couple of times and made, made some comments. I don't know if he introduced more awards or whatever. I forget. I mean, there were a lot of other, you know, every yeah. show you got a bunch of uh, random people come out to hand out awards. So, um. 
Yeah, all right. So let's move on to question number two. And that is, who will win the Jeopardy greatest of all time tournament? We have uh, James Holzhauer, who made headlines in 2019, going up against two past Jeopardy legends and Ken Jennings and Brad Rutter. So one thing I'll say, I guess I'll, I'll just go ahead and get started. I'm rooting for James, but I've, I've been told by Jeopardy experts not to doubt Brad Rutter. And I know James has that, that quick finger, so we'll see if he can take advantage of it. But Brad's been doing this for 20 years. He's been, he's been winning at Jeopardy as long as Tom Brady's been winning Super Bowls. So I, I, I trust that, unlike uh, Brady, he can uh, continue to win another big championship this January. Wow, I did not expect that answer. Uh, but uh, I'm going to go with, it's kind of more of a pick by heart instead of brain, but I'll go with James Holzauer and just hoping that he can continue what he was able to do this past past year of, of Jeopardy and winning 32, I think it was, it was 32 times in a row, is that correct? And he won, I think, like two right. and a half million dollars. Yeah, so around that. Jennings has the streak record and Rudder has the money record, but I think he's number two in both of them. I'll admit. So it's more of a pick by heart that I'm going to go with James Holzer. Well, I, I'm definitely going... I, I'm totally uninformed on Jeopardy. <laughs> um, like, I know who these guys are, but I went totally just with my heart on this one, and I picked my man, Ken Jennings. For me, that he's my, like, Jeopardy champion. I remember his run just lasting forever, and, like... I don't keep up with Jeopardy that much these days, but like I've always thought it was one of the most entertaining and best game shows on TV. Like it's fun without be, like being unnecessary nonsense. Um, so like I, I have a lot of respect for this game and um, Ken was there during my like actual time where I kept up with Jeopardy and he was just on for so long. Um, I think it would be great to see him win again. Now, I don't know like the analytics or like why he would be able to beat these other guys, but he's my champion in my heart. So I'm saying Ken Jennings is going to get one last uh, big victory. All right. So it sounds like uh, three of us are all picking three different winners. So we have our own little uh, greatest of all time Jeopardy competition going on. It. He's done it. All right. So question three, Brian, how about you uh, read this one? This is one you came up with. Yeah, so with Lori Loughlin uh, being in the news for the college admissions scandal, she might get some hefty jail time uh, for it, and she's going down in flames. My question is, who is the last celebrity you'd want to see go down in flames? Uh, Tom Hanks? Seems like an so all-around good guy. <laughs> is what you just said. Uh, the last guy I'd ever want to see in the news for a sexual assault or whatever or killing would be Tom Hanks. He's in all of my favorite movies. He's probably in half of them, like Saving Private Ryan, Toy Story, Forrest Gump, Cast Away, The Terminal. He's in so many movies that I like. So if he was ever in the news for something horrible, I could just never watch it again. And you know another thing? A couple months ago, the Mr. Rogers movie came out, yep. uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and he plays Mr. Rogers. And I guarantee you... Like, the when they're doing the casting for this role let's see who who is the nicest guy on earth and is a good actor tom hanks that's i guarantee that's why they went with him and i i just never want to see it he's the he's the one guy left for me well i would go with jeff goldblum i hope i never see jeff goldblum go down in flames and actually while i was researching this i had i heard that twitter at one point got really mad at jeff goldblum but um i think that the reason they got mad is kind of Eh. So 
I'm not even going to bring that up. Jeff Goldblum is such a character. He literally like plays himself in movies, which makes me value his real life persona that much more because it kind of is the thing that I Indo- love. Independence Day is easily my favorite Jeff Goldblum role. Did you see Thor Ragnarok? I have not. It's basically like Marvel said, like, just go be yourself in this movie. And it's amazing. It, but I mean, there's, there's so many things that Jeff Goldblum has done. Do you guys follow him on Instagram? No. I recommend it. It's 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 good content. Like he he like makes music and he loves jazz and stuff and just his cadence. I really since I've gotten into podcasting, you know, I think voice work has become somewhat a little bit more important to me and Jeff Goldblum has such a unique cadence and sound to his voice um and Anyways, he's so uh, you know wholesome and nice, and it would really not be cool to see him like in the news that Jeff Goldblum like totally ran over like a bunch uh, like a school bus worth of kids uh, or anything terrible like that. So I'm gonna say Jeff Goldblum is one I would not like to go to would not like to see go down in flames. I think uh, you know five ten years ago, a lot of people probably said someone like Bill Cosby. Uh, and yes. that, yeah, I don't want another one like that. I was like it's trying to think impossible. of who's like old enough that you're like how how at this point like. Bob Barker. We don't know. Speaking of game show hosts, no Bob Barker going down in flames. So. Yeah. Um, John Samos. We don't need more Full House beloved <laughs> actors and actresses going down. Bob Saget. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so Jody Sweeten, uh, you know, she already lapped Lori Laughlin uh, with her. She kind of fell into to substance abuse at the end of Full House. She's been sober since 2008. She's been married a couple times, has a couple kids. She's doing fine now. Um, so, but, you know, that, that, I thought that would be it for full house. I actually thought the Olsen twins were kind of, uh, down dark paths, but that's not true at all. I don't know why I assume that they're actually like some of the richest, uh, former child actors ever. Um, I think they have like some kind of clothing line that they've done well with. So yeah, Lori Loughlin will be up for full house. Um, all right. So next, next question. Uh, what was the best movie of the 2010s? Ben, you're the movie guy. I know, but I want you guys to go first. Okay. okay. I kind of had a tough time with, with this one. I had a few on my list. There was the social network movie, the Facebook movie. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street I liked. Uh, Hunger Games. There's a few that I liked. I think the one that really stood out to me was... the I, Ben actually did a, a Affable, Affable Chat uh, episode on this movie. It was called Whiplash uh, and starring... Uh, who the heck, uh, who the heck was his name? Uh, Miles T- Teller, I think was his name. Yeah, well, uh, that's his... the name of the character, right? Oh no, no the, the young man is Miles Teller. Who's the isn't guy? From John Wall Malkovich. Isn't John oh, Malkovich who... in that movie? The old guy. No. Um, um, wow, we're heck, really failing here, guys. It? No, it's not. It's um, what's his name from the <laughs> commercials, the farmers insurance commercials. Um, oh, Jason, it's that guy. J.K. Yeah. Simmons. Thank you. I, I almost okay. said Richard Simmons, but I'm like, that's not his name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always forget his name. He, I have the hardest time with his name, but I love him as an actor, and I think that's a great choice. Yeah, I, I was just, just such a huge fan of the movie. The so the movie is about uh, kid who's in uh, music school and trying to impress this teacher on showing that he's he's the best and he's he's that sean parker guy where he, he can be the drummer that he uh wanted to be or wanted to find so uh, i was such a huge fan uh, of of whiplash so i went with that as my favorite movie 
Okay, so I took this question literally as what is the best movie of the 2010s, and I went through the best picture winners of the 2010s. The only one I saw was Spotlight, and I, I actually just recently saw that. I think it's a great movie, so I'm going to give Spotlight best movie of the 2010s. I don't agree with having something where you say that a movie is the best yeah, uh, because that's too simple. There's way too much nuance in a movie to be like, this one is the best. But um, I'll, I'll still attempt to answer this question. Um, Sorry to Bother You is probably the favorite, my favorite movie this decade um, that came out this decade. And uh, it's a, an amazing critique of capitalism. It's Boots Riley's directorial debut it's amazing if you haven't seen it i really encourage you to see it um it's kind of uh mind-blowing and unlike anything you've ever seen that's really all i can give you because you have to see it to really understand it um that's my favorite movie uh that but i also thought that avengers endgame slash avengers infinity war was such an amazing like delivering on like the expectation they finished i mean finished right there's still avengers movies but like they finished the that phase so amazingly and and didn't disappoint a fan base that had been waiting on this for literally over a decade i i just think that that's worth bringing up if we're talking about movies that accomplished something this decade and finally i'll go with like my film buff choice which was birdman uh, starring Michael Keaton and Edward Norton. That movie is fantastic. I, I think it rivals Whiplash as far as like movies that film buffs love. And uh, it was definitely one that I really enjoyed watching uh, that came another, out last decade. Another movie that I like to mention, uh, it came out just a few months ago. Uh, the Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, I'm not going to say he's better than Heath Ledger as the Joker, but I was the fact that it's actually debatable is just shows you how amazing he was and i just love how the movie how how the joker developed and it also showed the the failures of the mental health health system combining uh with the joker's story so i was a huge fan of i was surprised by how good it was so but i'm gonna, i'm still gonna go with whiplash yeah, I mean, if I just went with my favorite, it would probably be one of the Avengers or you know, Wolf of Wall Street would be up there. Um, I hadn't really thought too far ahead about some of my favorites. I'd have to do some research. What movies came out in like 2009 versus 2011? Uh, but those are the, the first three that come to mind. And uh, a recent one I saw that I really like, you know, Joker is another good one from this year, but also um, The Irishman. Netflix movie with uh, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesky, and Al Pacino. Um, now, I, I'm not going to say that's the best of the decade, but maybe it's the best of 2019, at least that I saw. Uh, I don't think it'll win Best Picture, but I, I think that's a, an entertaining one. That um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Also, let me just throw this in as far as like my argument that it's impossible to rank, to say that one movie was the best of 2010s, unless you saw every movie. Yeah, you're uh, right. Because there's so many great movies that we all missed out on collectively, so... Um, I think it's a tough question to ask, but as a person who has a movie podcast that's affable chat, um, I'm happy that you you asked this question. <laughs> so it actually wasn't me. So it was, it was Kenny. Oh, Brian. That's right. No, it wasn't Brian. It was Kenny, Kenny from Boston asked this question. So thank Wait, you. Survivor, like former Survivor <laughs> Sur- legend? Former Survivor legend Kenny from Boston. Wow. Yes. Yeah. He was the one who asked it. Uh, oh wearing 3D God. glasses you, while wearing it too. So or asking is, it. Yeah. Uh, that um, is epic. Yeah. So... He was my favorite uh, guy from that show, The Survivor. Me too. <laughs> All right. And then the last question, this is also a fan question. This one comes from 
Bradley from Charlotte. What actions can we take to prepare for World War Three? So, uh, I'm not qualified to answer <laughs> I this <mean>, question. <laughs> okay, you, I, I look at it like this. You've got two options, okay? Either you contract bone spurs, and that way you don't have to fight, or you dive right into this thing and you get drafted. Uh, so you can bust out your Xbox 360, load up Modern Warfare 2, practice your drop shotting, practice your care package glitching, Go on, um, you know, autotrader.com, research some Mustangs. You know, you got to you gotta buy a Mustang now that you're in the military and find a girl right quick that you can marry because all military dudes get married instantly. Um, and then, you know, try not to get blown up. <laughs> that, that's always the goal. I mean, one thing with the draft, if, if you're a male between ages 18 and 25, you got to be registered for the draft. Because if you're not, that is illegal. And when you turn 26, you're going to be arrested. You will go to prison and you will be the first one who gets traded in those prisoner exchanges, which whatever you know, country, other enemy that we're fighting in World War III. So, Ben, you don't want that to happen to you. Register for the draft. Okay, Brian, nah. I see you over there. Bone spurs. Yep. Bone spurs. I got, I got it. I got it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, so register register for the draft. Practice my noob tubing and camping skills. Oh, yeah. I can't forget about and- the noob tube. Yeah. <laughs> Practice that and get a Mustang. You know, my dad actually has a Mustang, so I'm covered there. Tell him and thank you for your service. There you go. Yep. I just saluted. Just find a, and, and find a girl. <laughs> and uh, find a woman to marry. That shouldn't be too hard, right? <laughs> Have you, uh, you guys see that clip of uh, Donald Trump, like, walking up to the podium, and they the, play... They play the NFL draft music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like with the first pick in the 2020 draft, Donald Trump selects. Like that would actually be pretty cool. Yeah, if the, that would if be the cool. The president well, picked everybody. You know how they determine the the draft order with the lottery? So they do a draft lottery, and they use ping pong balls. They play, They have one of them has all the days of the year, January 1st through December 31st. The other has all the numbers, 1 through 365. They pull out a date, and they pull out the number and say it's uh, August 23rd, number 155. That means that August 23rd is the 155th. So if your birthday is August 23rd of whatever year you're drafting for, uh, it'll be the 155th for them to go through to, until they have enough people. And I love the idea of Adam Silver being the one who like pulls the ping pong <laughs> <laughs> reads them. It's like a little note card. You know, I was well, with the 365th pick. We'll go to uh, December 9th, and um, you know, just get all, all the all the great sports commissioners involved in the the draft. Another thing, though, learn how to speak Navajo. I heard that uh, the Navajo were uh, really big in World War II and uh, being able to like send messages back that uh, the the Germans didn't understand or whoever was, I think it was the Germans. Um, I have to do a little more research than that. But yeah, if you, you learn other languages like that, you know, maybe Latin could help. Did you take Latin in high school? Then all, all those years you've been waiting to find a use for it is being able to do secret <laughs> messages because no one speaks Latin anymore. I heard so. that if you're not a fan of the military industrial complex, you can totally troll uh, the military by reloading after only shooting one bullet every time. So you just shoot one and then reload. Because in a video game, you'll get all the bullets back, but in real life, you're wasting 29 bullets after you just throw that magazine away. So low-key trolling ah. for anyone who gets drafted but they didn't want to. Can you respawn in real life? yeah definitely dude um you have to have that perk on though you have to have second chance pro equipped uh tactical mask pro as well 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. So if, if you're listening, or, make sure you, you get ghost, all those. Or, or, uh, or ghost pro. So you're not seen on the, the U UAV radar thing. That's a good call, honestly, because a lot of war now is automated. So you don't want to get caught by the drones. Turn that perk on you guys. All right. And, uh, yeah. So thank you, Kenny. Thank you, Bradley, for those questions. If you have questions you want us to answer on this segment, uh, just uh, reach out to us on our Twitter account at He's Done It Pod. You can also reach out to the three of us individually. If you know us in person, you know, shoot us a text, give us a call, tell us when you see us, uh, and we'll we'll get those questions answered on here. And uh, I mean, overall, I think it was a fun segment. You know, the, the top five. There are times where we we kind of struggle to come up with a list and maybe don't have the greatest uh, countdown segment. So hopefully, we can add a little more variety and have a little more fun with some of these questions. Absolutely. So. Well, yeah, we're, yeah, we're Brian, always, you came up with that idea. That's so. true, I did. <laughs> yeah, no, but we're, I mean, over here at He's Done It, we're never satisfied. Uh, we're always looking to improve this no. podcast. So if you didn't think, you know what I'm saying, you, you thought maybe it wasn't as good this time, check us out next time, and we'll be that much better. Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, check us out some of the last times. Last time we did a best of 2019 countdown. If you if you want to know the best sports stuff of 2019, it's not too late to go back and listen to that one. If you're trying to figure out what Christmas songs you need to add to your uh, Spotify playlist for 2020. We Did do you our end up top finding five. Out that yeah, Stevie so. Wonder song, the the one from Elf, the one I was talking about. Oh no, I meant to look for it and I I forgot. That's I, okay. Just just watch. Tune it. in next week just to find out. out. Yeah, yeah. Next Christmas Eve, right. I'll, I'll figure <laughs> it out. All right, so that'll wrap up today's episode of He's Done It for Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells. I'm Corey Novotny. Thanks, everyone. Oh, 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 oh,